If you're like me, you care about getting the most from your workouts, which means wearing the finest performance gear. You know, fabric that dries quickly and has superior moisture wicking properties. Fabric so soft and comfortable, you could, well, curl up and sleep in it. Introducing Sheeks, spelled S-H-E-E-X, the world's first performance bedding line. Sheeks began when two former elite athletes and coaches had an aha moment, combining everything we love about quality performance fabric with everything we love about comfortable, irresistible bedding. Unlike traditional sheets that trap heat, sheets are breathable, so you aren't constantly waking up to throw off covers or add a blanket. So you sleep deeper, longer, and better. And sheets bedding looks as good as it feels. Colors and styles that can match any decor at a price that will pleasantly surprise you. And right now, you can try sheets for 30 nights risk-free. Just go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, 12-12. This is our number two. Of the World According to Zig podcast, my name is John Ziegler. This is where we provide you with a two-hour oasis of honesty and rationality in the desert of insanity and deceit, which is the American media, cultural, and political landscape. And last week, if you were joined uh, on this podcast, you heard me talk about a lawsuit, a fascinating lawsuit, $750 million lawsuit that has been brought against the CBS and some other entities because of a two-part miniseries that was broadcast a couple months ago involving the John Bonet Ramsey murder from 20 years ago last week. I wrote an extensive column about this for Mediate, in which I did an interview with the Ramsey family attorney, a guy by the name of Lynn Wood out of Georgia. And I wanted to get more in depth into this because I find this topic to be interesting on a number of levels and because Lynn is a particularly good guy who I've gotten to know a little bit through Twitter and our conversations and interviews on this case. So I asked Lynn to join me on the podcast, and he's been able to uh, move heaven and earth to be able to make himself available, which I really appreciate, especially considering the fact that my voice is now shot because of a cold I have. So Lynn is uh, now joining us live on the podcast. Lynn, welcome to the World According to Zig podcast. Hey, John. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for being there. All right. So let's talk about this lawsuit. It's a defamation lawsuit on behalf of your client, Burke Ramsey, who is the brother of John Bonet Ramsey, who, of course, was murdered tragically and brutally uh, just over 20 years ago in Boulder, Colorado. And it's because CBS did a, a two night, four hour special, which they concluded, and their conclusion to this was that your client, Burke Ramsey killed his sister. I'm curious about a number of things, but uh, first of all, where did you come up with the $750 million number uh, for the the damages against your client? Well, you know, the, the decision on the amount of money to uh, ask for in the ad danum clause in a complaint, it, it's not rocket science. You just get a feel for what you think uh, would be fair. And, and and I know that $750 million sounds like uh, a lot of money. It is. But put that into the perspective of CBS uh, in 2015 
uh, had gross revenues of about $15 billion. And in 2015, the net profit for CBS was $1.5 billion. So I'm happy to ask a jury to to uh, give Burke Ramsey half of their profits for that one year and, and let CBS uh, keep the rest. <laughs> How nice of you, uh, Lynn. Well, the, the $250 million is for his reputational damage. $500 million is the demand for punitive damages. And if you put that into perspective, uh, what kind of award uh, is going to get the attention of CBS to punish them for what they did to this young man? And more importantly, to deter CBS from ever doing this again to another individual. So I, I don't think the jury is going to be put off by the amount of money and they may decide I'm wrong and, and award Burke less or they may decide that I'm wrong and, and award Burke more. Well, let's talk about what uh, CBS and others involved in this lawsuit, quote-unquote, did to your client, Burke Ramsey. And, you, and you've been in, involved in this case for many years. Uh, you've never... Uh, to my knowledge, right, you've never actually charged any of the Ramseys for your services. Uh, you believe in this case wholeheartedly. Uh, but why is it you're so sure that CBS was wrong in the conclusion that was brought forward, not just by one person, but by the entire panel that they hired to do this two-part show that your client killed his sister? Why are you so sure that's wrong? Well, let me let me directly answer your question, but first, just to be accurate, I, I have charged the Ramseys uh, over the 18 years that I've represented them, but only uh, on a contingency fee basis. Right. So that if we have had successful litigation, I have right. uh, received a contingency fee. But I have I've put in thousands and uh, of hours over the last 18 years working for this family, uh, and I have not charged them. So. Uh, I'm not. I'm not out here working uh, for free, but I've always tried to be very reasonable with the Ramses because, contrary to popular belief, uh, John and, and Patsy Ramsey lost most of the, their wealth within the first year or two after John Benet was murdered. So the idea that the Ramses or John Ramsey uh, is a millionaire uh, that's just false. John lives in a rented home out in uh, Moab, uh, Utah, and and works every day. So back to the, to the key question you asked me. I started uh, with the Ramses in September of 1999, and they hired me initially to represent Burke, who, as you know, was nine years old at the time that his six-year-old sister, his wife's best friend, was brutally tortured and murdered in the family basement. Burke had been accused of being the killer by Star Tabloid, republished by the New York Post, and by the Tabloid Globe. And I was hired uh, to represent Burke in libel cases against those publications. In 1998, the Boulder police chief, then Mark Beckner, uh, publicly stated that Burke Ramsey was not a suspect not a possible suspect, that at most he was a witness because he happened to be in the home the night that his sister was brutally murdered. In May of 1999, after the tabloid accusations were published, the district attorney in Boulder, uh, then 
uh, Alex Hunter, his office was so outraged by the false accusations against Burke that the Boulder District Attorney issued a public press statement, again reiterating that Burke Ramsey was not a suspect, not a possible suspect, uh, and that at most uh, a mere witness. And then again, in December of 1999, after the grand jury that had met for 18 months was dismissed, uh, the prosecutor hired by the Boulder District Attorney's Office out of Pennsylvania, a gentleman by the name of Michael Kane, to be in charge of the grand jury, presented all of the evidence to the grand jury, was familiar with all of the evidence in the case. He issued a public statement December of 1999 that Burke Ramsey was not a suspect, that there was, and these are not my words, these are Michael Caine's words, there was no evidence, no evidence to support the speculation or any accusation that Burke Ramsey was involved uh, in the the killing or, or murder of his sister. Now, you know, it doesn't get much better than that. When you've got the people in charge of the investigation, the people that know all of the evidence, not the distorted evidence, not a half of the evidence, not manufactured evidence, they know the evidence, and they have made it clear 18 years ago that Burke Ramsey was not involved. No evidence to support the accusation. Right. And that, that, that gets me where I think I need to go, but, you know, candidly, John, I could, I could sit here and and answer your questions and discuss the facts of the case and the evidence, there really is no evidence uh, that would in any way justify an accusation against Burke. You have, to, you have to just make it up out of whole cloth in a sensational type of theory uh, to make the, the charge of guilty against this child. And that's what CBS did. And it was not just a miniseries. It was not just a special. It was represented to the public, to the viewers, as a documentary. Right. Well, Lynn, from an evidentiary standpoint, and I understand why you went where you did to for your explanation for why you know that Burke is innocent of, of the accusations, but to me, what convinced me for sure, just using basic human logic, if Burke had killed his sister, then John and Patsy would know about it because they would have created that crazy ransom note and if they knew about it, there's no chance in the world they would have ever allowed their son, who they knew had killed their daughter, to do not one, not two, but three different interviews alone as a child, as an awkward child, with different authorities, including with a police officer, the day of the murder itself, before Jean Monnet's body is ever found, and that police officer is positive Burke had no clue that, that John Bonet had even been murdered at that point. So to me, right there, it's it's absurd. Nothing else matters after that, right? I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, I will make uh, one additional comment about the December 26th interview. John and Patsy did not know that Burke was interrogated by a Boulder detective on that day. Burke had been taken from the home to go to uh, a friend's home 
at a time when John Benet's uh, was missing, but her body had not been discovered. So Burke leaves the house. Sometime thereafter, after the authorities uh, know that her body has been found and that she's been murdered, she's dead, unbeknownst to the Ramses, a Boulder detective went to the friend's home, represented that he had the authority of the grandparents to talk with Burke, and he interviewed slash interrogated this nine-year-old boy at some length that day, that day. And his conclusion was unequivocal that based on his interrogation of Burke Ramsey, Burke did not have any idea whatsoever what had happened to his sister. <laughs> you don't have to even get to the January 1997 interviews right. that the Ramseys agreed to or the June 1998 interviews. You don't get any better proof of uh, than than the word of an experienced police officer well, who's not going to be fooled not going to be fooled by a nine year old child. Well, and, and, conclusion is solid. And, and and by the way, to me, it's even more convincing than that, Lynn, because while the Ramseys didn't approve of that interview with the detective the day when, when John Bonet was still missing, they made no effort to shelter him. So they did not. Right. So it. it it, nothing is consistent with what you would have to believe for Burke to be the murderer, including, by the way, there, there's no evidence, and this is at least somewhat less uh, clear, but I think it's obvious, and I know you agree, and if this was not made obvious at all in the CBS special, that there's nothing about this murder that's consistent with an accidental type of killing or, a, or even, frankly, the theory that CBS laid out there that she was killed with a blow to the head. That's not how she was killed. And, and, and that's the only theory that would even remotely make any sense uh, for someone in the, uh, for like Burke to have done it over in, in CBS's claim, anger over a piece of pineapple being stolen from his bowl, which is, seems insane. Um, but that was the CBS theory, and that's not consistent with the facts either. So I guess when, one of the things I'm confused by here is why did CBS, you know, this is a, obviously a major, major media company with, you know, the history of 60 minutes, 48 hours. Why in the world would they commit four hours of primetime television? It was actually scheduled to be more than that, but it was cut back at the last moment. Why would they commit all those resources, all that airtime? to an alleged documentary that comes to a conclusion that your client killed his sister when they had to know that there's nothing to substantiate that. Why would they do that? You know, the Tiffany Network, uh, we certainly would expect better, wouldn't we? I, I, I can't wait to get into the discovery in this case because that question has been in my mind since, June of last year, when I first heard that they, that CBS was going to do this true crime series and started off with the John Benet Ramsey case, and we're going to rely on uh, a self published book uh, called Foreign Faction, a book that I was familiar with that had been published in 2012. Uh, it was essentially garbage, it was just perhaps a step above a tabloid production. It, it was rejected by mainstream publishers. Uh, the individual who wrote the book, uh, Kohler, who appeared in the series as an alleged expert, uh, James Kohler, went to every major network, tried to get an interview and publicity for the book, and 
he was shown the front door quickly. No one had any interest in publishing this type of an accusation against Burke. And then CBS decided to do an anniversary, a 20th anniversary special on the Ramsey case again, and it initially was assigned to 48 Hours. 48 Hours is the CBS in-house production company that does true crime uh, stories and broadcasts. And then mysteriously, it was pulled from 48 Hours around March of last year, and it was given to a company called Critical Content, uh, which is a company that arose out of the bankruptcy of another company called Relativity, got funded with a new $100 million and was run by a guy named Tom Foreman, who used to be uh, with CBS at 48 Hours. And they moved it over to an, a third-party production company, I believe, because they knew that if they did it in-house, they couldn't publish this kind of an accusation under their own standards. So they went to a third party where the standards of CBS would not apply, and they were able to make the sensational, the only member of the media that's made that accusation uh, in the last 18 years, if you count the tabloids as being part of them, I don't think we call them the mainstream media, they wanted the sensational, they wanted to be different, they wanted ratings and profits, they put it in its sweeps, it was going to kick off their new true crime series, and the financial benefits apparently uh, were too great in their mind uh, to outweigh the good judgment that should have been exercised by their uh, own lawyers that would have told them, don't go there, this is a mistake. We're speaking with Lynn Wood, Ramsey family attorney, about the $750 million lawsuit that he has filed on behalf of his client, Burke Ramsey, against CBS and other entities. Now, you mentioned the third party. Part of the third party is a guy by the name of Jim Clemente, who I was thrilled to see who was actually part of the lawsuit as opposed to just being named in the lawsuit, because I have dealt with Jim Clemente extensively in my work on the so-called Penn State scandal. And I have been thoroughly unimpressed by him as an investigator and as a human being. He was the host of this series. And I think that having read through your filing, to me, the most compelling part of a defamation case, because obviously for defamation, you have, to, you have to have some serious evidence that they knew what they were saying was either false or they had reckless disregard for the truth. To me, one of the most compelling parts of your case is that Clemente effectively plagiarizes that book, Foreign Factions, that you referenced, this, this garbage uh, self-published book, even to the point where he pretends to uncover new audio, quote-unquote, evidence from the 911 call after Patsy Ramsey hangs up, that when I watched it, even before I knew that it was plagiarized, I'm like, what? I, I couldn't hear anything. What you, what you, how are you getting you know, those words out of that garble. Yet what I now know from you and your filing is that Clemente was acting. He was, he and his co-host were acting, pretending that they were finding this new audio evidence when all they were really doing was plagiarizing from a book that had created the same bullcrap theory out of the 911 call years ago. Right. That's exactly right. The, the 911 call had about six seconds of tape after you hear the distinct 
hang-up of the wall phone when Patsy hung it up. And the Boulder police at the time in 1998 thought they heard something in the six seconds. The FBI tested it. They came up with nothing. The United States Secret Service tested it. They came up with nothing. Uh, somebody a few months later got a friend, a Boulder policeman got a friend of his to have his lab tested out in California, and they claimed to hear the three voices of John, Patsy, and Burke. Verbatim, literally, as the same thing that Clementi and his other actors uh, declared to the public that they had discovered for the first time with this new modern technology. That was just a lie. The whole show was a fraud and a very good one because I'll tell you, uh, as much as I have to, to deal with my friends, and I hate that they feel this way, I had a lot of friends and colleagues. CBS convinced the viewers of that show that Burke Ramsey killed his sister. And they also convinced the viewers that it was a new reinvestigation as promoted from scratch to look at all the evidence by seven, quote-unquote, world-renowned investigators. That was an absolute, unequivocal fraud on the public. The whole show was scripted off of uh, essentially the book Foreign Faction. I even have a screenshot where I, it's on the table during one of their meetings. CBS doesn't mention the book. And it, even worse, the essential argument, the speculation in the book Foreign Faction was essentially published in 1998 by the tabloid Globe, claiming the same findings about hearing Burke, uh, essentially relying on the same type of speculative evidence to conclude that he had accidentally killed his sister. As I said, I sued uh, Globe successfully. And what's really interesting is Globe was represented by a top-notch media defense lawyer, uh, Tom Kelly, out in Denver, and uh, you, you turn around and you look at Kohler's self-published book, and, and guess who he's praising for all of his assistance? Tom Kelly, the lawyer. Hmm. I mean, these people had right. to know uh, that not only was this a false accusation, but they, all, they knew that they were, in effect, presenting this uh, fictional story in a way to the public that made it appear to be the real deal. Real investigators well, looked at real evidence. And in fact, Clementi, as you know, Clementi and two of the other uh, alleged experts, uh, this Fitzgerald character and uh, Laura Richards, they work for a company called XG Productions. You know what XG Productions does? It's in the business of working with television productions to make fictional crime stories right. appear to be real. Right. Clemente writes, uh, he writes uh, segments for uh, Criminal Minds. Criminal right. Minds. Right. Well, and, and, and to me, to our listeners right now, I mean, obviously the lawsuit aspect is interesting on one level, but to me, the broader issue with regard to what the media is now feeding the public, here's a show that claimed to be a documentary where it is obvious that you had, and it wasn't just for a few seconds, this was a major segment, primetime CBS, claiming to be a documentary, where you have Jim Clemente and his female co-host acting. That's what they're doing. They're acting, pretending that they're finding new evidence when all they're doing is plagiarizing bullcrap that had already been discredited many years before. And 
it's just amazing that that makes it onto CBS. And I can't wait for you to to not cross examine, but to to get uh, Jim Clemente in a deposition because uh, I'm sure you're going to find out all sorts of very interesting things. And I want that fraud exposed because uh, I I know him personally, and he has done me wrong. And I, I've never found a case yet where he was right. So I'm rooting for you on the case, especially from that perspective, Lynn. But I do have a couple questions about it, the, the case. And, I, and from a legal perspective, I, I'm curious what your responses are. The first is, one of the more uh, bizarre elements of this is that not only did your client, Burke, do an interview with Dr. Phil uh, in order to refute these charges before they actually went on CBS, but the strangest part of this is, of course, that the Dr. Phil show... <laughs> is effectively produced and, and aired on CBS affiliates. So yep, CBS syndicates a show for him. Right. So here you have a situation where there's two elements here. The, the weirdness that CBS is airing an interview with the guy that they're claiming killed his sister, and by the way, was a, a pretty positive pro-Burke Ramsey interview, but also the element of whether or not that impacts Burke's status as a public figure for the for, with regard to the definition of defamation and the, and the burden of proof in defamation what without getting too deeply into it because uh, i know this is a very complex issue but in general can, can you explain how it is that cbs is on both ends uh, of this situation and what's your view of of what that dr phil interview does to your case yeah and it's interesting to go back, as I've done, unfortunately, I have to do several times, watch the entire documentary over and over again. Uh, a lot of the advertising for this uh, docuseries was focused on the new fall lineup of uh, CBS shows. That was another benefit to the getting high ratings is that they use it to promote their new fall lineup. One of the main shows promoted uh, was the new show, Bull. Uh, Bull... Uh, has been one of the most successful new shows at CBS uh, in the fall season. And Bull is uh, produced, the executive producer is Dr. Phil McGraw. It's loosely based on Phil's uh, life experience when he was a jury consultant or a litigation consultant before he got into television after the Oprah uh, Winfrey case he worked on with a buddy of mine, Chip Babcock, in Texas. Look, I made the decision to let Burke do the interview with Phil, because I've known Phil for a number of years. I've had the privilege to represent him. I think he is a man of integrity. Uh, and I, I believe that Phil felt like that his involvement uh, and his exposure and disclosure of the actual evidence in the case and the lack of any evidence against Burke uh, might have given us a chance to have CBS take a second look and decide not to go forward with the docuseries. Well, that didn't turn out to be the case. I am sure that uh, CBS and the other defendants will contend that Burke is a public figure defamation plaintiff. Uh, and they will contend that he is that status because he voluntarily gave the interview to Dr. Phil. I could argue that he has the right of reasonable response. He knew it was going to be aired. He tried to stop it. That's why he did the interview. At the end of the day, uh, and you won't hear me say this often, but in, because I've done a lot of public figure defamation cases, I know how difficult they are because of the actual malice burden. Right. But in this case, I don't care. <laughs> I believe legally Burke should be a 
private uh, figure, defamation plaintiff, uh, and he then only has to meet the negligence standard. But they will contend he's a public figure. They will argue that he's what's called an involuntary public figure who just happened to have the bad luck of being the brother of John Binet who was in the House and the, and the publicity and the public interest. They're going to always try to argue public figure status. I don't care. The evidence in this case is so overwhelming on the issue of actual malice, the recklessness of CBS, the fact that they clearly should have known that this was false or that it was, as the law says, probably false. It's so overwhelming that in this case I would describe my ability to jump the hurdle of proving actual malice is going to be the equivalent to a hop, skip, and a jump over an anthill. <laughs> this is not, this is not going right. to be a difficult case. I don't care what his status is. Burke Rand is going to win this case, and I don't make those kinds of statements lightly. I've been in the business for 40 years, 20 years in the defamation area. I've handled a number of high-profile public figure cases. I have a really good track record in getting them to a jury beyond summary judgment. This one is a slam dunk if I've ever seen one. It's the worst, most egregious case of defamation that I've ever been involved in or that I am even aware of, and I keep up with the uh, this area of the law. Well, and Lynn, in our last few minutes together, I, I, I have one other concern about your lawsuit. And again, um, I, I think I'm 100% with you on the facts. Your, your client did not kill his sister. I, I am positive of that. He did not. Uh, and I'm also positive that what, CBS did was wrong and it was reckless. What I'm a little concerned about, and I, I'm, I'm open on this, is was it illegal enough civilly to warrant a massive multi million dollar uh, judgment, maybe hundreds of millions of dollars, since you're asking for $750 million, judgment against them to the point where that would create a chilling effect for? Anything in the future where, let's say, you know, as you know, Lynn, a lot of times in especially in legal cases, there can be theories that the line between controversial and defamatory is minuscule, right? And so as a free speech advocate, I do get a little concerned about are we are we punishing CBS potentially for really bad journalism? as opposed to out and out lying. And, and I guess my question to you is, can you convince me that your case is, on, is, is, is absolutely on one side of that line as opposed to the other? You know, John... You understand, I, where, I, you understand I, where I'm I, coming I, from, right? Yeah, listen, I, I, I am met in every uh, liable case that I've ever been involved in I read the briefs of the media defendants. I hear their uh, pleas to the court, and it's the sky's falling. If you allow this case to go to a jury and you don't throw it out, uh, civilization as we know it will cease to exist uh, because we'll lose the protected right of free speech, and it'll chill speech, and that's the end of society. Well, that's just BS. Let me tell you this. It, it, there's no value in false speech. So if I can chill false speech, if I can send a message to the members of the media 
that there's a line over which you cannot, you can't cross it without being held accountable, then I'm prepared and hope that this case does chill that type of speech. This was, this was not a, a sloppy journalism. This was a calculated decision by a major, probably the most respected member of the mainstream media in this country, uh, perhaps uh, in the world. And they look at what they did, and you tell me if this is journalism. They put Burke Ramsey on trial in the court of public opinion for two days. Burke Ramsey didn't have the benefit of a defense lawyer. He got to put up no defense. They put up a bunch of biased witnesses because I can show that all of the seven so-called experts years earlier had concluded that they didn't believe that an intruder killed John Binet, that it had to be somebody in the family. At least two or three of them had already decided they thought this, the theory of Burke made sense. Then they, they put up a bunch of junk science. They don't discuss the actual evidence. They misrepresent it. Nobody's there to correct them. Nobody's there to cross-examine them. And look what happens. Burke Ramsey's guilty, and he's going to live with that finding of guilty by CBS on the Internet. All you got to do is Google his name. He's going to live with that finding of guilt for the rest of his life. He's 29 years old. The first 20 years of his life have not been the, the most easy because he's had a lot to deal with that other young people do not growing up. And to label this boy a killer since age nine is so reprehensible that if, 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 if you've got to be allowed this type of freedom of speech uh, in order to engage in the proper business of journalism, I, I just think that the society doesn't, it, there's no place for that type of a position in an orderly and just society. This is not the way we... This is not the way we solve crimes. This is not the way we treat individuals who have never been charged with a crime, who have, to the contrary, repeatedly been exonerated by law enforcement authorities. And then to come out for the sake of ratings and, to, and money and to make this accusation, Burke Ramsey's a real person. He's not a fictional character. Right. I've known this boy for 18 years. I've watched him grow up. I promised his mother before she died that I would always be there for Burke if someone ever again made this false accusation against her son. I have a righteous indignation about CBS. It's beyond professional to me. It's personal. I would not. I believe that the the right to redress a false accusation against your reputation is a right that is equally important to the right of free speech. And we've gone a long way in recent years to uh, weighing out on the side of free speech to the point where we've almost denigrated the right uh, to protect your reputation. And, you know, from my perspective, there needs to be a little shifting of the balance uh, back toward protecting reputation, particularly when we find ourselves in an environment which you're well aware of uh, and it's discussed politically we live in this era of what we're now calling fake news. Right. Let me tell you, it doesn't get any more fake <laughs> in terms of fake news than what CBS broadcast to the world for two nights in September of 2016. 
It was a fake story, fake news with a fake accusation that will impact dramatically and adversely the life of a real young man for the rest of his life. I can't argue with your passion and and your eloquence on it. That's for sure. Um, Last question for you, Lynn, and let's broaden it to the, to the media in general. You represented Richard Jewell, who was falsely accused in the, in the Olympic Park bombing case in uh, 1996, right? Um, and, and obviously the Ramsey case, which is very similar, both situations, media, massive rush to judgments. I'm sure you've seen other cases. I've been involved in cases, including the Penn State uh, case, the Sandusky case, where I believe the exact same thing happened. I, I, my, great, my greatest passion in public life, uh, Lynn, which is similar to yours, is educating people to how utterly incompetent and corrupt the news media is in this day and age. And they are both, in my view, incompetent and, and, and corrupt. And it's getting worse uh, almost on a daily basis because the, the business model is broken and is, is changing dramatically. And I think it's exposing these fissures in the foundation of what was once a really good fourth estate in this country. What would your general, in what, what, and this is something you could talk about for hours, but in a, in a minute or two, what would you say to the public at large about what you've learned having seen up close the way the news media works in these kinds of salacious cases and specifically with regard to the damage that can be done by a rush to judgment and how vulnerable the news media is to rushing to judgment in this day and age? I guess maybe two quick thoughts that come to mind. One, one would be uh, uh, I, I would urge that the public entertain a healthy skepticism uh, about what they, they are being told, particularly on television and on the Internet. Uh, I would also uh, be the first to tell you that uh, beyond a healthy skepticism, uh, people ought to to remember not to check their common sense uh, and life's experiences at the door. You know, don't buy in when you uh, see these talking heads on TV, the ones that pop up in every high-profile case, always having an opinion to offer, always claiming to be an expert. You know, look at, look at the Ramsey family. There was no pathology, and, and their lives were reviewed. Every rock was looked under five times. Before John Bonet's murder, all that you would find about John and Patsy Ramsey is that they were good and loving Christian parents. Since the murder of John Bonet until the end of her life in 2006, when she died too early from cancer, to John Ramsey's life that he's lived, to Burke Ramsey's life that he's lived, everything has been consistent. They are good and decent and loving people. Put your common sense to work. These people didn't turn into heinous, brutal murderers with a criminal mind to do some type of a cover-up for an accident, uh, which clearly was under the evidence not an accident, but a brutal torturing death. They didn't just flip a switch and become those people in the early morning hours of December 26th and then flip the switch off and go back a few hours later 
to being those same good and loving and Christian uh, uh, family and, and, and parents. Common sense tells you that doesn't happen. You're going to always have some pathology uh, where you have a parent that harms a child or even a sibling who harms a child. Mm-hmm. There's no pathology here. But yet the media working at the time with the Boulder police on the suggestion of the FBI, they leaked false information about the Ramses to the media so that it would be accusatory in hopes that they would drive a wedge between the parents and that they somehow might get a confession. They manipulated the quote-unquote news. They manufactured information, false information, through the media. That cannot be the role of the fourth estate. The role of the fourth estate ought to be to look critically at the actions of government. That's their first and foremost responsibility. Their responsibility is not to go out every night of every day of every trial and declare who's guilty or not guilty. That's what they've become. But and that's not the proper role uh, in our society for the media. But and We ought to be able to trust what we hear from them. Those days of trust are over. And that's, where I, that's to me, the most important point, Lynn, because you know, I'm not a naive person. But even I, as I have gotten more and more involved, as opposed to being just a commentator, but being an actual investigator and being directly involved and having been interviewed and, and like you have been on, in, on very, very high-profile platforms, once I have seen firsthand the making of the sausage, if you will, yeah. I, I am even I have been astonished and disgusted by what I have seen in how the news media does the, their business. I, would you agree with me, Lynn? And this, to me, is the bottom line. See, I, I, now long, I no longer believe that truth has any bearing on the narratives that the major news media creates. I've never believed that truth was all that mattered, but now I don't believe it matters at all. I think the only thing that matters today is what narrative is going to get the biggest ratings and the most clicks today. That's all that matters. Am I right? I think you are right. I think the only uh, additional point would be that that beyond the the clicks and the the ratings and the profit, uh, I do think that uh, far too many members of the media today also have their own agendas. They they have their own agendas. positions that they want to advocate, uh, and so they, they become more uh, an entity to advocate and persuade as to their point of view, uh, as opposed to simply reporting factual information and truly allowing uh, the readers and the viewers to make up their own minds. You know, CBS, and you pointed this out, I'm sure CBS is going to say that the theory against Burke uh, was an opinion, and, and I'm, I'm tell you that there's a way to, to state your opinion, even if it's accusatory of someone, uh, in a protected way. And then there's a way that you can claim to be expressing your opinion that is not protected under the First Amendment. And that's what CBS did here. Mm-hmm. But I, I do believe uh, that 
the media has turned into a kind of, a, I hate to use the word, almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy. They, they decide where they want to go, either for right. their agenda or for their uh, profits, their ratings, and, and they, they go down that road, and they don't let anything get, they don't let truth get in the way. Exactly. That's exactly right. It, the truth used to be allegedly the bedrock. Now it doesn't even get in the way, as you say. Uh, and yeah. it's, it's really disgusting, and it's destroying lives, and it's destroying trust in a lot of our institutions. And, and the only one benefiting from it, the only people benefiting from it, are the people that get to keep their cushy media gigs uh, because of the ratings that it, that it, that it garners. There, there, was a, there was an article done by a, a, a reporter for the Wall Street Journal several years ago, probably 16 years ago. And it was entitled John Bonet Inc. And it essentially talked about the amounts of money that various media entities had made on the John Bonet Ramsey case. Talked about the individuals who had, quote unquote, had their careers made by the, the John Bonet Ramsey case in terms of media personalities. I suspect now, 20 years later, that the amount of money that has been made by the media off of the tragedy of this family is probably approaching a trillion dollars. It could be more. That, that, sounds like, that sounds like, oh, come on, Lynn, that can't be true. Let me tell you, it's the absolute truth. The media has not missed a beat to profit off of the tragedy of this family, and, and they do it as if they're not really impacting the lives of real people like 29-year-old Burke Ramsey. Well, Lynn, uh, Burke is very lucky to have you as an advocate. Uh, I've gotten uh, uh, the privilege of getting to know you a little bit, and I've really enjoyed it. I, I'm glad you're out there doing what you're doing. Uh, good luck in the lawsuit, and let's keep in touch on this and other matters. You bet. Let's do it, John, and, and hope you feel better from that cold. <laughs> and, have great, and have a great new year. All right. Talk to you soon, Lynn. Thanks so Bye -bye. much. All right. That's Lynn Wood, attorney for the Ramsey family. And if you're interested in more of – my previous discussions with Lynn, as well as my opinion on that case in particular, just go to freespeechbroadcasting.com and you can check out the uh, article that I wrote, column that included an interview with Lynn on the 20th anniversary of the murder of John Bonet Ramsey. Or if you just, just Google my name and Lynn Wood, I'm sure uh, that comes up. In our remaining moments in this hour number two of the uh, World According to Zig podcast, uh, since we've been talking about the news media, and that's often a focus of this uh, podcast and of everything that I do, there were several major media stories that came up this week that are very much related to what Lynn and I were just talking about. Specifically, there was basically a musical chairs going on on the cable news networks with regard to some major media personalities, specifically Megyn Kelly at Fox News Channel, on whose show I appeared, I think, once or twice back in the Sarah Palin days, back in like 2009, 2010 era, she is leaving Fox News Channel to go to NBC. Now, there's, I wrote a column about that for Mediaite, which again, you can find at freespeechbroadcasting.com. I urge you to do so because I wrote some, I think, pretty compelling thoughts on the reasons for her leaving and what it says about cable news and the Trump effect. Maybe the the one thing I should have mentioned, which I did not, because it was not known at the time, but it appears as if Megyn Kelly is going to be replacing, for all intents and purposes, Billy Bush on the third hour of the Today Show. Now, think about that one, folks. So, Megyn Kelly gets involved, and I think somewhat contrived, 
in a major feud with Donald Trump during the primaries. She purposely withholds key pieces of information about Trump, including Trump calling to threaten her days before the first debate that aired on Fox News where she was a moderator and asked the first question of him, which was, I think, in retrospect, the moment when he won the nomination, when he gave the Rosie O'Donnell answer. And she implies in her book that Trump knew that question was coming. And had we known that, I think it would have changed the context of that Rosie O'Donnell answer. Because even I was impressed by the Rosie O'Donnell answer. But he knew it was coming. So it wasn't all that impressive. But I digress. So she withholds all sorts of information to keep it in her book, keep it away from the public during the primaries and the general election. So she has content for her book, and also she doesn't have to take flack for negative Trump information on Fox News Channel because that's a problem. The Trumpsters, the cult members, were giving her all sorts of issues, not just in the ratings, but on social media, every time she was critical of Donald Trump. And I think that's a big part of the reason why she left. The money that she's going to get from NBC is not that much more than she, or maybe the same as she might have gotten from Fox News Channel. But she didn't want the aggravation, and I can understand why, having dealt with it on a much, much, much lower level. Because every day in cable news, you got to look at what the ratings were, minute by minute. And I guarantee on Fox News Channel, she was going to have to deal with the constant balancing act between. Do I tell the truth of what I think of Trump? And how is it going to impact the ratings? Because Fox News Channel, especially in prime time, is now all pro-Trump all the time. In fact, Megyn Kelly has been replaced by Tucker Carlson, who used to be a reasonable person, who I used to work for, writing for The Daily Caller. I've been in contact with him quite a bit. Had some interesting text messages with him about Trump earlier this year, where he was fairly reasonable, or earlier last year. But now he's completely on the Trump train because it's good for ratings, and he's gotten a promotion at Fox News Channel because of it. So congratulations, Tucker, for selling out. Good work. It worked out for you. I I don't know where your soul went. I hope you can sleep well. But Megyn Kelly now gets embroiled in this feud and increases her, her mainstream media street cred, her notoriety in the public domain outside of Fox News Channel. Billy Bush gets screwed more than anybody in this whole deal. I mean, how it is that the Access Hollywood tape makes Billy Bush disqualified from hosting the third hour of the Today Show, but does nothing to impact Donald Trump's ability to be president of the United States, well... It's just flat out ridiculous. It doesn't get more ridiculous than that. You can't make that up. And then for Bush to be apparently replaced by Megyn Kelly, holy hell, bizarro world stuff. Now, how Kelly's going to do it NBC, I don't know. You know, there's certainly a good argument to be made that she's overpunted her coverage now. You know, there's certainly people who have tried to do what she's doing that haven't done it successfully. I don't know anymore. The media landscape is changing so quickly. If you have any kind of a sliver of a loyal audience, you can be successful. And I think she is a talented person. I, And I don't say that of very many people in cable news. She's at least smart. She's somewhat funny. I think she's gotten full of herself now that she's a real star. I think she injected herself into the campaign. I think her withholding the the anti-Trump information in a rational world would have been a firing offense. Instead, she gets promoted. But that's the way the world works now. That's 
the way of the world in 2017. Things that used to get you fired in the news media now get you big promotions and gigs on major networks. And Car- Tucker Carlson, to me, it's, it's just disgusting. Tucker Carlson, unlike Sean Hannity, is a smart guy. Tucker Carlson, I cannot believe, really thinks that Donald Trump is going to be a great president and really thinks that he ought to be defending Trump on Russia, which he's been doing, or mocking our intelligence agencies for their conclusions about Russia, all because he knows it will placate Trump's ego, which is what that's all about. So Tucker Carlson replaces Megyn Kelly and Greta Van Susteren. She's now going to MSNBC. And this is going to be fascinating because Greta Van Susteren going to MSNBC will be the perfect proof of what a fraud cable news is. Because Greta Van Susteren is, no, here's the evolution of Greta Van Susteren. Let's be very clear. Greta Van Susteren became famous because of the O.J. Simpson case. Now, how that is even true is mind-blowing to me because she's like one of the last white people in America who still thought O.J. might be innocent. And she's been pretty outspoken about that. But she got a gig on CNN because of the O.J. Simpson case. She was no conservative then. By the way, she's also a Scientologist, which is a cult. And Lisa Remini is torching it on A&E. How, as a Scientologist, you can get a primetime gig anywhere, to me, is amazing. But she's a Scientologist, which tells you a bit about her character and her intellect. She is married to a diehard liberal Democrat. She's had massive uh, plastic surgery, which, frankly, is a great metaphor for who she is. Because she's a chameleon. She'll change into whatever she needs to at the moment to get ratings and to be on television. She's clearly a very insecure person, never uh, very attractive. Got on television, got some attention for the first time late in life, loved it, and didn't want to lose it. So when she went to Fox, if you recall, she was basically apolitical during the Bush years. And she went chasing after Natalie Holloway for weeks and weeks at a time. The teenage girl who went missing in Aruba because the ratings were good. So good, in fact, that Sean Hannity started chasing Natalie Holloway in Aruba in the middle of the Iraq war. The ratings for the Iraq war sucked. So Hannity panicked. And that was the moment I knew Hannity was a fraud was when he started chasing Natalie Holloway because he was afraid of Grant Van Susteren's ratings. So... Greta was non-political until Obama and Palin came along. Van Susteren jumped on the Palin bandwagon before anybody because she saw the ratings. She saw the appeal. All of a sudden, she becomes political. I know because I was on her show numerous times back when I was defending Sarah Palin and doing the movie Media Malpractice, how Obama got elected and Palin was targeted. And Greta Van Susteren probably helped build my current house. I was on her show so many times. But unlike most people, I, I don't view loyalty that way. I, I call them as I see them. And I would have said the same thing to, at the time. She is not an ideologue. She is somebody who will do whatever it takes to get good ratings on that day. 
And so once Obama got elected, now all of a sudden doing politics on Fox was good money because now you had a boogeyman as opposed to the Bush administration where there was no boogeyman other than Osama bin Laden. So she starts to pretend to be a conservative for eight years. And then she jumps on the Trump train, but not at first because she probably was smart enough to think, well, this, this seems crazy. But once it, she sees the handwriting on the wall and she sees the ratings, much like Hannity jumped on Natalie Holloway's disappearance, Greta Van Susteren jumps on the Donald Trump train. So at the end, she's like full-on Scientology cult member on behalf of Donald Trump. Well, now, after Roger Ailes leaves and the whole sexual abuse scandal, she tried to rework her contract. Fox says, go pound sand. Now she gets picked up by MSNBC. There is no chance Greta Van Susteren is going to be pro-Trump on MSNBC. It's going to be hilarious starting this week to see what an absolute fraud and hypocrite Greta Van Susteren is on how quickly she changes her opinion on Donald Trump because she's on a new network with a different audience that isn't going to tolerate pro-Trump propaganda. And the important part here is not just that Greta Van Susteren's a fraud, it's that the whole industry's a fraud. All of it. By the way, speaking of frauds, Monica Crowley, another cable news personality who I've gotten to know very, very slightly. I interviewed her in person one time and had some interaction with her. Never was very impressed with her. Radio talk show host. She's embroiled in a plagiarism scandal. Turns out she wrote a book for HarperCollins with like 60 different episodes of blatant plagiarism. No one cares. It got reported in major media. The Trump camp, she's going to work for the Trump administration and communications in a pretty big time job, which I don't think she's worthy of based upon what I know of her. That was before the plagiarism scandal. This plagiarism thing that happened with her in any other administration, including the Obama administration, would have been meant instant disqualification. I don't think it's going to impact her at all. The Trump people basically said, eh, we don't care. Harper Collins published the book. It's a prestigious publisher, which I love. I, I love that. Wait a minute. Because Harper Collins got fooled into publishing a book with massive, obvious plagiarism, somehow that means that she's vetted to work in a major job for the federal government. How does that work? But that's the way Trump's mind works. Oh, I guarantee, I guarantee that if it had been a minor publisher as opposed to a big time publisher, that Trump would have said, oh, we got to get rid of her. But because it's a big-time publisher, therefore, it's got media power behind it. Therefore, it's legitimate. And therefore, if they went with it, it must be real. It must have been vetted. We're going to stick by Monica Crowley. Plus, he just doesn't like apologizing or admitting any mistakes. And we're now living in a world where because the media gets so distracted and it's so fragmented that unless... Unless the entity itself decides to self-enforce these mistakes, if you just ignore them, they're going to go away because the media gets tired. There's no ratings in going after Monica Crowley. Really? So it gets reported for half a day and then it's gone. And you know what? Kudos for Trump for understanding this, that you no longer have to cave to media pressure. Because the media pressure will go away and it has very little impact on your people. In fact, in some ways, it can sometimes be a positive. 
I just wish they would do that on things that were more legitimate because I think Crowley should be disqualified. What I what I will like about this is when someone gets caught in a in some politically correct bullshit where they shouldn't have to resign or they shouldn't have to get fired and Trump hopefully will take the same tack and say, go screw yourselves. We're just going to take the half a day bad story and move on. That'll be good. But in this case, it's this is this is a, another example of the impotence of the news media not being an effective watchdog. Because it used to be that when the watchdog bit you, like they bit Monica Crowley, you were done. No more. And in this case, I don't think that's healthy or good. Um, by the way, speaking of the conservative news media, what a fraud it is. Check out the interview I did with Vox, the liberal news website. Uh, you can find that at freespeechbroadcasting.com. There are a couple of things that are out of context there. Like, for instance, they report that I said that I would vote for Barack Obama for a third term over Donald Trump. That is not uh, entirely accurate. I included a lot of disclaimers for that statement, but they, for some bizarre reason, decided to edit out the disclaimers. And then when I complained about it, the reporter said, oh, that must have gotten taken out in editing. Oops. Oh, well. That's almost a direct quote from the reporter. Gee, thanks. I mean, this is the internet. It's not like there's any space considerations, but for some reason, it's uh, fairly heavily edited, but there's still some, I think, substantive and valuable things in there. So check it out at freespeechbroadcasting.com. Last thing, uh, Monday night is the national championship game in college football which uh, is my favorite uh, team sport. And I've been on the Alabama bandwagon all year long, thinking from the very first game that they were going to win the national championship. They very well might do so. My gut is now telling me, for whatever the hell it's worth, I think Clemson wins the game. I think that Lane Kiffin leaving the offensive coordinator for Alabama in the last week has got to cause some problems. I think Alabama, while they are dominant on defense, their offense is not that great. And if Clemson is able to move the ball like they've been able to move the ball against, like they have against almost anybody else, if this becomes a scoring match, I think Clemson might be able to outscore Alabama. It should be a hell of a game, though. And hopefully we'll finally be a, a, a decent uh, playoff game. We did not have any decent playoff games the first two in the semifinals. I don't like this current system, but I'm still rooting for a good national championship game. All right, so that'll do it for this week's edition of the World According to Zig podcast. Hopefully next week my voice will be better. I anticipate that it will be. And we'll have lots more compelling content to provide for you for free. I will say this, though, before we leave. Do yourself a favor. If you sleep and you sleep with sheets, make sure you listen to this important message. Coffee? Oh, thanks. How did you sleep? Ugh, like a baby. I don't want to get out of bed. Ever. These sheets are mm, incredibly soft. What did you say they're called again? Performance bedding by Sheiks. <laughs> performance bedding? <laughs> yeah. They're made from super high-tech performance fabric. They're incredibly breathable, so you're not waking up at night throwing covers off and then an hour later throwing them back on. Huh. No wonder I slept so good. Since I started using Sheiks, I sleep like a baby. No more sweaty nights for me. No? Well. <laughs> well, I like them because they're soft. They feel like, mm, silk. Performance fabric, huh? Maybe we should, oh, I don't know. Try them out again. <laughs> <laughs> Comfort and performance for better sleep. That's Sheiks. S-H-E-E-X. Sheiks. Try Sheiks for 30 nights risk-free.
Go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com, promo code 1212. sleepcoolnow.com, 1212.